7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. Good evening and thanks for joining us on SAFM Sport on. Tabiso Musia is me, Katlako Mudiba, and Loyolam Kalipia, the producers, and Sylvester Komane is our technical producer. Tonight on the show, we will go over to Australia to speak to a South African coach that is making waves that side. He's guided the Melbourne Rebels to an impressive start in this season's Super Rugby competition, winning four out of six. That is coach David Vessels, who also coached at UCT in varsity rugby and had a stint with the Stormers and was actually working for Sports Illustrated magazine before he left for Australia to pursue a career, coaching career that's now seen him work with the Brumbies, uh, the Western Force, and now the Rebels. So he will talk to us about his journey. That will also be part of our careers in sport feature. I will also catch up with Titans coach and former Proteus wicketkeeper Mark Boucher. That's after their Momentum One Day Cup success. Uh, they've won the title, and I think it's a chance for us to ask him one or two questions about the Proteas with the World Cup coming up this year. Uh, but before all of that, we will hear from the men of the match in last night's high-profile Absa Premiership encounter between Orlando Pirates and Sundowns that ended in a goalless draw and the man of the match was Diani Mabunda and I think this now also gives us a chance to address or talk about what uh, seems to be a thorny and sensitive issue regarding his relationship with the controversial prophet Bushiri uh, also known as Major One. He thanked him again last night when he got his man of the match gong and there was a lot of reaction after that so uh, Diani Mabunda will speak to us about that and respond to the critics. Then we'll speak to another footballer that is now looking for a new home after parting ways with Supersport United. There has been speculation about where he is going and we'll find out tonight how much he can tell us and that is none other than Tuso Pala. So it's a packed show. Feel free to join us at any time on 0891 SMS 40938 and we take voice notes on WhatsApp 061-4104-107 and we're using the hashtag SAFMSport on, on social media. For the story behind the action, catch Tabiso Musia weekdays at 7 p.m. So then let's start by hearing from Sundowns midfield and Bafana Bafana player, of course, Diani Mabunda, who was the man of the match in last night's game between Pirates and uh, Sundowns. And uh, we had to speak to him before the show because he actually has a prayer session with Prophet Bushiri and now, so he couldn't join us live. And I began by asking him if uh, they are happy with the point as Mamelodi Sundowns, considering that there are six matches left this season. And uh, of course, uh, they are still uh, top of the Absa Premiership log. Yeah, you know, last last night's game was uh, was uh, was very important for both teams, and uh, I think uh, the level of football that was played was 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 present for for all the the people who were watching the game, and uh, of course we would have liked to win, but uh, I think uh, a point is is worth it considering that both teams were were looking for a result, and I think a point for each team uh, really does. Uh, give a true reflection of the game because it wasn't easy for either team and uh, it could have gone either way. And now uh, it seemed to mean a lot to the fans also that point last night. You guys stayed behind once again singing with them. How special are those moments for the players to share with the fans? You know, uh, the, the, this, this culture that we have initiated as, as one of the Sundowns has brought us closer and closer uh, as a team, not only uh, uh, the fans, but also uh, the, the relationship we as players have with, with, with them. They begin to understand uh, how much we, we try to make them happy and they, they really acknowledge our efforts. And uh, it's really it's really special to see them always cheering us on, even in difficulties, even in difficult times. Of course, they would have liked to see us win, but uh, they've, become to, uh, they've begun to understand how we, 
we, we manage the games and we, how we were able to play throughout the season and we know when to get the required points and to be able to do the best that we can at all times. And you are top now. Uh, is the pressure on you to stay on top or do you think the pressure is on the chasing pack? And do you, do you guys enjoy being on top? Because the coach has said once you go top, you don't come down. Yeah, you know, for the past few seasons, every time we went top of the rock, we never, we never uh, gone gone down, especially in these times of the league. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't say there's any much pressure on us because we we are solely focused on on the finish line. Uh, the pressure should probably on be on the on the people that are coming behind us. We we would only have pressure if we were worried about them. But we are focused on what we are doing. We are focused on our process. We are looking forward to to our prize. What we are chasing is the finish. There is the finish line, and then retaining our title. We're not really focused on people coming from the back. So it's more important for us to remain calm, be able to re, to, to to stay focused on the plan and the course of the of the team's uh, success. You received the Man of the Match award last night, and. Uh, Personally, were you pleased with your performance and what would you say was key to your performance on the night? Yeah, you know, last night's performance was a, was a different kind uh, because I, I, had a, I had a talk with the coach throughout the week in preparation uh, to this game. He requested me to, to, to sacrifice myself to be able to, to play for the team uh, because, the, uh, you know, Pirates play a different kind of formation and they overload in front of the centre-backs. So... It was uh, just a request for me to be able to to, 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 to to play for the team and not more of about myself. So I just uh, this one I give it out to to, to, to the plan that the coach had and uh, it, it really worked out. As uh, much as sometimes as a player, you may not uh, understand why the coach wants you to play in a certain way. But uh, at the end of the day, we we have built a relationship whereby we we, we trust the call of the coach at all times. And Sugar, you once again got people talking after the Men of the Match Award in your acceptance speech. You thanked Major One. What do you make of their reaction every time you do this? Are you surprised? Does it even bother you? Uh, uh, the reason the, 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 in life I've learned that uh, people will never uh, understand who you are unless they get into your shoes. And for as long as people still see, they, they expect me to live in a certain way, they'll never get to understand who I am. They'll never get to understand uh, what God has called me to do. Uh, but I do not blame them because even the Bible says the things of the Spirit are only understood by those who are in the Spirit. So people who are more physical will never get to understand who I am because I live more of a spiritual life rather than a physical life. So I don't really uh, take to heart or even listen to anybody who speaks negative or I don't really take note of negative comments. But uh, it's, it's unfortunate that people... Uh, still think that we are we are living in the natural day, the, the normal day in life, where, as you can see, in today's day, every there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of attacks, there's a lot of fights, there's a lot of murders, there's a lot of killings, there's a lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of bad things that are happening, and yet people still don't want to run back to God. And God has called certain people to be uh, ambassadors of his kingdom, and I'm glad to be one of those. And I've, I'm ready to, to, to go down the fire for the sake of God's name to be paid. And why is it important for you to thank Major One? Because even in defeat, you do it. Even in victory, you do it. You even have his name uh, engraved in some of your boots. Uh, the thing is, uh, people, they do not understand my quote. I always, uh, as, a, as a son, you always need to recognize your father. And uh, because I know the spiritual dynamics that are, are taking on earth right now, 
I understand the responsibility that he has as a father to be able to take care of me and always get me uh, aware of certain things that people are not aware of. And uh, it doesn't really bother me because my major one is, is my father, regardless of what people say. Nobody told, nobody told me to go to him and nobody can actually influence me to live where we're serving God under him. So when God calls me to come and serve him under Major One, that's what I will do. I, will, I don't need anybody's approval. I don't need anybody to, to wish me well, because it's a, it's a calling that God calls, calls me alone. And uh, salvation is a, is a, is a journey of, uh, of individuals. And if people should, would, would really try and focus more on, on, the, on their relationship with God, they'll understand the dynamics that took place, even in the Bible they, that they quote. Uh, they quote scriptures that they do not understand. They quote scriptures as if they're quoting a textbook. The Bible is a spiritual book, and if you're not spiritual, you'll never understand it. You can get lost. Even the Pharisees in the Bible, they, 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 they studied the book, of, they have a book of the law that Moses gave, but they did not see that Jesus was present in their midst. And uh, it's just unfortunate that people do not, do not read the Bible with an attempt to understand. They just read the Bible in an attempt to know what the Bible says. And, and for those who don't understand, Sugar, what was the turning point for you since you met Major One? Is there a moment that stands out to say that this is when you realized the impact that he has in your life? You know, the, the, the first thing that, uh, that Major One said to me was, uh, if I really want to be successful in life, I need to be able to get God on board. As much as I've been playing, as much as I've tried to do things on my own, I may have reached a certain level, but you reach a level whereby you need God to, to, to assist you in your ways. And the moment he began to teach me the principles of how to, 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 to be able to, imp- to allow God to use you solely, that's when I began to understand more of the things of God. But for people who do not have somebody to guide them, I'll give you an example. If you're a footballer, uh, you need a coach to direct you in your path. Not, saying, not to say that the coach is your God. No, but the coach is somebody who directs you in the path of football so that you become a better person, you become a better, uh, uh, you have better understanding of the situations in the field of play. So uh, in, those, in that sense, I would say uh, if, if, if the spiritual world was, was a football field, major one would be my coach. Mm. So for people who do not have people to guide them, it's unfortunate. They, they really need to, to, to get understanding of how God operates. God operates with principles and he operates in order. Uh, even Jesus, before he was, uh, uh, he, he was, he began his ministry to serve, to, to, to do the work on earth. He had to meet John the Baptist and be baptized. If without John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist came first to prepare the way for Jesus. So people need to understand that there are principles that God uses, and it's unfortunate if people are not are, are open to receive the knowledge, they will always remain in the same place. And, and finally, Sugar, you are also doing some work with prisoners, which probably doesn't get as much attention as, as Major One does. What's the aim of that initiative, and how is that going? You know, uh, the initiative that I'm doing with my foundation, the Animabunda Foundation, is, 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 is projects that I actually get from, uh, which are biblical. The Bible says, Jesus, uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 3, it says, uh, remember those in prison, as though you were in prison with them. Remember those who are suffering as though you yourself were suffering with them. And Jesus also said that on the last day he will be asking, you, I was in prison, you never visited me. I was hungry and you never fed me. I was thirsty and you never gave me water to drink. 
And it's just those simple things that are written in the Bible that people overlook, and it's, it's instructions and principles that allow us to be able to be used by God. If we cannot do the basics, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely sure that we will struggle with the with the bigger with the bigger cause that God has called us to. So, for me, it's just for me to exercise the purpose that God has brought uh, me on earth for. It's not only about football. I know that uh, the responsibility I carry is, a, is, is major, and uh, it's a very big responsibility. And uh, there are so many people who, who who actually have changed their lives through the way I live, regardless of whether people criticize me, regardless of whether people persecute me, or people say whatever they say about me. I don't really focus on what people say about me. I focus on what God says. Yes, that's the power of a prayer of a major prophet. Everything turns from black to white. Well, that is uh, the Mamelodi Sundowns and Bafana Bafana midfielder Diani Mabunda talking to us um, about his relationship with the pastor, with Prophet Bushiri rather, and of course the game last night against Orlando Pirates. I did mention that uh, he had to speak to us before the show, so we pre-recorded him because he had a prayer session with a major one uh, tonight, so he couldn't join us live. And um, I understand that Maxwell has uh, called us here from... Pre- oh, okay, we don't have Maxwell. I thought Maxwell had called us in Pretoria. I did say join the conversation at any time on 891 SMS line 40938, and on WhatsApp 0614104107. We take voice notes and hashtag SAFM spot on on social media. But because we don't have Diana live, I think if you want to comment on this, it will be a bit unfair because he's not here to answer for himself and I'm definitely not an expert in this field, but we'll take your reaction on social media. You can SMS us on 40938 and tell us what do you make of the criticism leveled against uh, Diani Mabunda and what people have been saying about his relationship with Pastor Bushiri. Let's not f- with Prophet Bushiri rather. We've got Maxwell on the line now. Maxwell, good evening. You called us. Thanks for calling us. Hello, Maxwell. Okay, let's take a break. We'll try and get Maxwell back. Hashtag SAFM Sport On. Okay, we can I think Maxwell is gone again, and I think Franz in Tawung, you'd also called us. Sorry about that. Uh, we dropped, uh, I think we lost you there also. Uh, we're going to speak now to Tuso Pala, uh, the former Supersport United midfielder, who is uh, now obviously without a, a club after parting ways with Matsatsansa. And let's find out from him how is he keeping and what does the future look like for Tuso Pala. And he joins us on the line. Tuso, good evening, and thank you very much for speaking to us on SAFM. Hi, good evening, uh so good evening to the SAFM listeners. Thanks, too. So, firstly, I know you had training today. Are you training on your own? Are you training with a club to keep fit? Uh, at the moment, I'm training on my own. Mm. And and do you have an idea of where you're going to play your football next season, Tuso? Are you still weighing up your option? Because everybody has been asking us what is happening with Tuso Pala. Yeah, there, there were some offers, but uh, I'm taking my time to make the right decision to where I'm going to be for next season. So hopefully uh, come coming two months before preseason, I would have I would have signed with a team that I'll be playing for next season. But you'll definitely not be lost to the game. You're still gonna play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll push until I can't push anymore. <laughs> there have been reports linking you with a number of clubs. Some said Pirates, some said Marisbeck United, others are saying Highlands Park. Have any of those clubs shown interest in you in any way? Yeah, there are clubs that have been speaking to my agent, but uh, I can't really say the names. Uh, but there are, there are a couple of few clubs, but uh, nothing from Pirates, which uh, surprisingly that's a rumor, but I've never heard anything from Pirates, just, just to confirm that. Mm. And Tuso, how do you look back at your time at Supersport United or how it ended? Do you have any hard feelings or are you happy with the decision to part ways? 
Yeah, well, I had a great time at Superstar United. Uh, obviously, how it, it it ended, it ended prematurely, but in a in a happy way. Uh, I, I was I was happy with the deal, and so was the, the chairman of Supersport. So we are both happy, and there's no hard feelings. And you know, I still love the club, and I still love the people involved in the club. And it's all good friends. Uh, it's football. I think players come and go at the club, and there comes a time where you must move on. You know, look for other uh, other other ways of life, you know. I can't play football forever, and I uh, definitely not play for Supersport forever. So we accepted that me and, and my agent and Supersport and came to an agreement, and we we all happy about it. And whose decision was it to so? Because you'd not been playing for some time. Did you ask to to to, to leave, or did the club give you the option to part ways? Yeah, I approached the club uh, looking at my situation of not getting game time, you know, from playing and falling back on the, in the picking order, you know, at my position. So I suggested an exit for me and the club, you know, happily so agreed, you know, because uh, my contract was not going to be renewed next season. So given that, you know, uh, we came to an agreement and we moved forward. And you, you had been a loyal servant of the club and many people are surprised that you left during the season. Were things bad or you just felt that because you, you didn't see a, a hope or any hope of any playing before the end of the season and that's why you, you decided to leave? Well, the view of not playing and, you know, there were, I had players in my position, uh, there are very good youngsters who were coming through, you know, and doing well when I was not playing. So uh, it's part of the game, you know, as a, as, a, as a long-term professional, you know, you accept such things in football, they happen. Uh, which is part of the game, and I just accepted it, and I I came with the decision to you know to to move forward, to move to other uh, to other things. And Tuzo, you were you had to be sitting on the sidelines and not playing, knowing that you can contribute on the field and what you can do. Yeah, obviously, uh, it's not a nice feeling to sit on the bench, uh, and especially at my age. Uh, but uh, you know, with with the game time I got before, I I. I was not playing at all, you know. I was not performing to to my standards anyway. So there's no one to blame or there's no other things to blame, you know. It comes in football that you go through such a such a stage, you know, career and while you go through that and there's other players playing well in the position and we was just accepted as a professional, work more harder, you know, and also look for other ways where you can, you know, bounce back into the game. And was it just performance related, or or did you pick up an injury? Is that why you went you were not playing? I would say it has to do with form. I think I lost a bit of form, uh, which is normal. It happens. Uh, unfortunately, it can't happen at a at a big club like Supersport, where there's people you know behind you waiting to take your jersey. You know, so the youngsters there were doing well, and they took the chance, and they're playing now. So it's good for them. It's good for the club as long as the club is doing well and they're getting the results. You know, and I'll move forward with a with a with a with a happy face, you know. Know that I've contributed a lot to the club. I've won things with the club, and I'm I'm very close with the management and with everyone around there. And you know, it's just the life of a, of a football player that these things, things happen. And how do you then look back at your time at Tusopala? I mentioned when we started the show that you've won a number of trophies at Supersport, Netbank Cup, I think twice, Telcom Knockout, MTN Eight. I mean, what are some of your highlights? Yeah, well, my highlight is when I first arrived at the club and we won our first trophy, obviously, when I scored the winning goal in extra time against my former club, Platinum Stars, you know, when we won the Telcom Cup, I think yeah. that was one great moment. And also taking the club to the to the KEF final, you know, I think that also stands out at the club, you know, 
we will go down in history that we were the first generation at Super Sport to take them to a to a CAF final. You know, unfortunately we didn't win it. We lost to Mazembe on our way goal. So, but it was a great, you know, a great achievement, and it was something that will go down the the club's history books. And I'll, I'll look back and say I was part of it. You know, I'm very proud of that. I, I had very good um, moments and memories at the club, and I have no regret. You know, um, it was. It was a great experience for me in my soccer career and an experience that I won't forget. And and talking about that Confed Cup run, I mean, I remember that goal you scored in Ndola there at the Livoy Monawasa Stadium against Zesco. Last minute quarterfinals to the semifinals. Where does that rank for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, when, uh, when we finished the game, after the game, I also found out that uh, I'm the only player to score two goals at that ground, at that field in, in like 17 years. You know, so that, you know, those memories that I will be there in my career, that I'm the only South African player to score a place in the stadium in 17 years, you know, yeah. against Lesko. So, you know, such things, you know, you go to a club, you experience things, and you win things, and they'll stay in your, in, in your life forever. You know, those are great memories that I'll always cherish. And obviously, thanks to Supersport for giving me the opportunity, you know, to wear, to wear the jersey of the club. And I, I don't have no, I have no regrets. Uh, I look back and... And I'm proud and I'm happy of what I contributed to the club. You know, the fans, I love them. You know, they supported me from when I arrived at the club. Uh, so everyone there, you know, uh, that's why I say there's no hard feelings. You know, it's part of the game and we move forward. Is it true that during one of these Confed Cup campaigns, you went to Nigeria and then the plane could not land and you guys were airborne for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were actually in Liberia. Liberia? We're, yeah, we are in Liberia and we... When you're about to land, we had a message that, you know, they're fixing the the runway or something. As if they sure. didn't know that we, there's a flight coming. <laughs> so we had to fly around Liberia for like an hour. You know, some of the players, you know, I remember Grand Kekana, he, he came off the flight, he was sick, swollen up his face and stuff. So such experiences you only hear about, you know, through the papers and through people talking. But, but then we went through that. We experienced a lot in Africa. And we learned a lot, and you know the club also learned a lot. I think moving forward, SuperSport now knows, you know, about the CAF tournament and you know how it goes, how they treat you there, and what happens. So it's a great experience overall as a, as a football player. You know, not every football player will go through that and experience it. So I'm grateful for you know SuperSport for you know going with me through that journey. And finally, Tuso, are you happy with how your career has turned out? I mean, it's not every player that will play for Sundowns and Chiefs, having started also at uh, Silver Stars and then we played for Platinum Stars. Yeah, uh, in my career, I have no regrets. I think the the choices I made in the clubs I moved to and when I moved, I think, have always you know turned out good. Uh, and I've, I've, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve in my career. Well, I, unfortunately, I didn't get the opportunity to go overseas. That's one thing I wanted in my career. Well, it never happened. It, well, not everything that you wish for happened. But, you know, I represented my country. You know, I, I feel like I, have a, I had a great career. You know, I played 13 seasons in the PSL. I don't think, uh, you know, there's only a few players who count that have played so many seasons. So, um, looking back, I'm very proud and, and happy of, of what I've achieved and how my career went. Great stuff, too. So thank you very much for speaking to us. Lots of reaction on social media. People very happy to hear from you. And most of the comments is that they're wishing you all the best of luck. And the Pirates fans say you must go to Orlando. Uh, they want you there. So you've got some tough decisions to make. But good luck. No, thank you very much. And uh, thank you to the SAFM listeners.
Thank you very much there too. So Pala, from he plays for Bafana Bafana, or of, also of course, and you can't say from a Bafana Bafana player when a guy is still uh, playing a uh, football. And uh, yeah, I man with a great career. Let's see uh, where the next uh, uh, where it will take him next. That is a uh, Tuso Pala. There's so much reaction. Somebody says, I would like to comment on Tiani's uh, interview. I'm very much inspired and I wish if more listeners really understood him. That's Albert in Pulu Kwan. Okay, Albert, please send us a voice note on 0614104107 and we will uh, play it. And everybody who wants to comment on that, you can send us voice notes on 0614104107. What I'm avoiding is me answering for Tiani Mabunda because he's not here with, with us. I mentioned he's in a prayer session. So I think it's better if we take SMSs and we look at social media and the voice notes if you want to comment on on that up next then let's hear from uh, former proteus wicket keeper and uh, head coach of the titans mark boucher they more they won the momentum one day cup that's the 50 over trophy uh, recently after finishing bottom of the log in the four-day franchise series and they're now turning their focus to the t20 challenge which gets underway uh, this friday but we caught up with mark and firstly i began by congratulating uh, coach mark boucher on the modc success and asked him what would he say was the key to their uh, to their title triumph this season yeah, it's been a difficult season so far. We didn't do that well in the in the four day competition. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the the one day the one day and white pool stuff we've got a lot more experience um in our squad. I think uh, we re- relied a lot on that. Um there were also quite a few games where we were in a lot of trouble, uh, especially with batting wise. Um and a lot of individuals stood up and, and played some unbelievable knocks um at certain times. Um, you know, we we're very happy to to get the the likes of Aiden Markham Aiden Markham back into our squad. Um, I mean, he's a special player, and you know, he showed with the, with the form that he brought in. I think he played half of the games and ended up being the top run scorer. A guy like Junior Dollar as well. He had an unbelievable um, series uh, with the ball. Um, was by far the, the highest wicket taker. So, you know, we had guys stand up at, at certain times and, and do very well, but uh, there were also times where. We had the guys, um, you know, played some very important knocks or bought some good spells to, to put us through to uh, a home semi and a, and a final. And, a, you know, I think in, in the history of, of Titans cricket, you, we've got a very good history of, of playing finals at home. Um, so every time we, we play a final at home, we, we do feel that we've, we've might have the upper hand on teams. And, and that's basically what happened. And it also seemed like you just picked at the right time as a team. And was there also pressure to deliver after that disappointing uh, season in uh, campaign in the four-day series? Yeah, look, I think picking at the right time is always important. Um, we were with, with two games to go in the pool. In the pool sort of games, we were already qualified for a home semi-final. Um, so it gave us opportunity to rest guys a bit and also prepare accordingly for a semi-final. Um, so I think that took a lot of pressure off the guys as well. Uh, got a bit of rest and, and their belts as well. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we, we we had a tough semi-final, a really tough semi-final. It didn't go all according to plan, although the result might look like it did. <laughs> it, it certainly didn't, but uh, we managed to pull that through um, and then have a, a, a close to perfect game um, on Sunday, which was uh, with once we once we get 350, we're always going to be a tough uh, side to beat. Um, but yeah, like you know, so you. Yeah, that, 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 that turned the season around big time um, because it wasn't looking good at the after the four-day scenario. Mm. But like I said, you know, we've we've got the experience in our side to be able to um, trust our white ball skills and that, and that's exactly what happened. And um, the, the the team that we we put on on, on paper was uh, a lot older and a lot more seniority than, than what what sides we're playing in the four days. And how do you guard against complacency, Coach Mark? Because you've got that experience, you've got the star-studded team, and I guess you're always expected to win something at the Titans. Um, I think complacency can come in when there's sort of games that uh, we know that 
uh, we should win. Um, and, and maybe in the, in the pool games we'll be busy playing. I think because you play so much cricket nowadays, um, it's difficult for guys to be uh, up at 100% every single game. So I think that's where your skills got to pull you through. Um, I don't think we could would ever be complacent uh, when it come, comes to a semi-final or final because we know that there's a trophy on the line. Uh, once once there's a trophy on the line, I think the guys they really managed to raise their games. Uh, we've got a, a good history of, of of trophies at the Titans, and that's how we judge our season. Uh, you know, we're with, with with trophies in the cabinet. So we understood as well that uh, we didn't have a good four days. Uh, we wanted to try turn it around, and, and we you know, the guys answered all the questions that that we had to pose. So. Um, there's still one more trophy up for grabs, yeah. and uh, we'll be going full out to try and get that one as well. Um, but obviously, focusing on on what we have to do first of all, and that's that's win quite a few games to get into a semi-final playoff, um, and and hopefully from there we can we can take that forward. You mentioned Junior Dala earlier on. What did you work with him on this season? Because he's miles ahead of the next best bowler, and he seems to have just an extra spring in his step and bounce also. Um, not, not a lot to be honest with you. He just, um, he was carrying a couple of niggles. Um, you know, I, I made a difficult call to try and pull him out of cricket for a month in the middle of the season. Um, because, because I was worried about him. Um, his, his, his body was giving him a bit of trouble and, uh, you know, he's a fast bowler. So sometimes you just got to make a call for a bowler. Obviously with the World Cup around, around the corner, it's always going to be difficult for him to accept that. Um, but we did it and we pulled him out of, of cricket for a month. Uh, and he came back a lot stronger, um, and uh, that went and showed in his performances. Um, I think he understands his game plan very well now. Uh, he bowls with a lot of freedom in our setup. Um, and, you know, he's, he's one of the quickest bowlers in the country. So, you know, if he's bowling the way that he does, then he's always going to be a wicket taker. Um, and yeah, I mean, his 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 attitude's been fantastic. And I think he, you know, I would hate to be a World Cup selector, but he certainly has put his hand up. Uh, for selection over the last uh, sort of month and, and the results that he's been putting in. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of credit has got to go to Junior in the way that he's just turned his own mindset around, uh, coming through disappointments in the beginning of the season uh, to to standing out like he has, has stood out uh, throughout this competition. And Aiden, I mean, he delivered for you in the matches that he played also miles ahead of everyone else and he batted it in different positions also. What do you make of how he adjusted to that challenge, coach? And was the plan to move him around? Was it in consultation with the selectors? No, no consultation with the selectors at all. Um, look, I know Aiden's worth. Personally, I think I've seen enough. He needs to go to the, the next level um, because he's, he's definitely good enough to be there. So, you know, Aiden, Aiden is uh, one of the sort of players that... Um, He'll come in and he'll bat anywhere uh, in our side as long as it um, sort of conforms with what, what Titans need. And, and he showed that, you know. And we're always going to have a bit of a rotation policy. Um, you know, we've, we've had quite a few players that had to sit out at certain times and he bought into that as well. He was the first one to actually uh, have to sit out. And then after that came in, batted five for us, got 100. Uh, opened the batting, got 100. You know, batted three, got 80 odd, and then came in at four and got 100. So actually... I must put him at six and maybe I'll get under the next game. <laughs> so, no, he's, um, he's a special player. He can bat anywhere. Um, but he's a team man, so he's never going to put up an argument no matter where you, where you put him in the order. Um, you know, he's a special player and, and, and certainly one that I would like to think that South Africa needed to work out because, you know, if you get two, two or three of our batters and Aiden's one of them, that can have a good World Cup, then, um, then you're asking questions of opposition of batting attacks, which is, which is always going to be a good thing for, from a South African perspective. And on that note of the World Cup, Coach Mark, you also worked with the team. They brought you in to help David Miller there with the keeping. What do you make of how he did in that T20 match? Um, I didn't really get 
cool then. I just got in. I came in for about half an hour to help him oh. out a bit. Um, I think Quinny, Quinny was uh, resting, so that's why yeah. he, he didn't work with him. Um, yeah, look, I didn't watch too much of the game, to be honest. Um, I believe that he kept all right. So it's difficult for me to, to judge him over T20 uh, performance, to be honest with you. Um, he's, he's not a keeper. He's a, a makeshift keeper. So we've got to understand that so we can't put too much pressure on him if he's going to go to the World Cup and, and perform that role. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, at the World Cup that, that we don't have to see him keep, that, that uh, Quinton de Kock will keep, keep the whole time and that, that he stays fit. Because um, I, I just, uh, I'm hoping that uh, he doesn't get a ball in the end of the finger and then, then you lose David Miller because of, of, of keeping. Um, I know England can be a very tough place to keep wickets. But uh, bottom line is, no, no matter what decision that the players make, we got to back it, um, and, and hopefully they can they can come out on the on the, the right side of it. Um, so, so yeah, that's my whole thought. And it. like I said, it's difficult for me to judge David Miller as a, as a keeper and his performance um, when he hasn't done it. But would he be the ideal solution to that second wicket keeper Beth uh, in that World Cup squad, or, or would you prefer them to take a specialist keeper coach? Um, first of all, I'm not a selector, so I don't have to make these decisions. Um, <laughs> Is he the ideal backup wicketkeeper? No, he's not, because he's not a wicketkeeper. Um, so, so that's one one thing that, that that does worry me, to be honest with you. Um, can he do the job? Uh, yeah, he's shown that in 2020 cricket, he, he can catch a ball behind the stumps. Uh, if you're in a situation where you're playing against Australia in a do-or-die game and, and one of their top guns nicks the ball and he drops it, can you blame him? No, you can't. Um, will it cost us a World Cup? Yes, possibly. <laughs> So there's the different things that you got to that you got to put together. Um, it is difficult to turn a, a fielder into a wicketkeeper sort of in a month or so, um, no matter how talented he is. Um, I would like to I would like to see another wicketkeeper there just as backup, um, but that's not my call to make. And like I said, even if they don't make that call and if they, they stick with David, no matter what team they put on paper and going to the World Cup, we have to back them and, and, and hopefully they can do the job for us. Finally, Coach Mark, how is the step up being to being a coach for you? Are you enjoying it or is there as much pressure as when you were playing? Um, I think it's more pressure <laughs> because I can't do anything about it. There have been times in the season where I've, I've wanted to put the pads on and go and bat or do something about it, but I can't. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, no, I always enjoyed playing um, and being in those sort of moments. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoy the coaching now as well. Uh, watching guys perform, if you know that you've worked hard on something with that particular guy and he goes out and does well, uh, you sort of feel that you've played a part in, in that guy's growth as a player, So, which is, which is always a nice thing to, to feel. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the playing side of things, I, I probably miss a lot more, uh, especially in the pressure, pressure situations because as a coach, you can't do anything about it. Titans coach Mark Boucher talking to us here on SAFM. From Mark Boucher, we're going to go to Australia and hear from another coach, Coach David Vessel, South African-born, who's now coach of the Melbourne Rebels. Tabiso Musiya on SAFM. Let's now hear from Coach David Vessels of the Melbourne Rebels. And I begin by asking him, how does he sum up the season so far? <laughs> A work in progress is probably the best way to sum it up. Um... Um, yeah, we've had some. I mean, uh, we had a big win against the Reds uh, over the weekend, which was important for us because we'd uh, we'd sort of lost our way a little bit on in, in two games in South Africa, you know. So uh, I thought we played relatively well against the Lions, and then we were unlucky to lose it sort of on the hooter at the, right at the end of the game. But uh, we were disappointed about uh, in our performance against the Sharks. Um, so more than the results, I think was just important that we came back and played well 
uh, last weekend. You know, it's um, it's okay to have one bad game, but uh, you, you, you definitely don't want to do that two games in a row. So it was it was pleasing not only that we that we won, but more so that we played well last weekend. And four out of six, would you have taken that before the season started? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think um, you know, obviously, you want to win every game. I mean, that's the that's the that's the that's the point of the, of the competition, you know. But um, for us, we've we've had uh, we've only had two games at home in those six, and uh, we've also got a difficult away trip to to South Africa out the way now, which is our longest travel travel block of the of the season. So, um, all in all, pretty good, you know. Um, Although although results on the field didn't go well in South Africa, it's you know it's such a great country, and I think the boys love touring there. And um, I think one thing it did do is just brought us closer as a team off field, you know, and that's that's important because if we can build on that going forward in the rest of the season, then uh, that'll help us uh, with our rugby on field. And uh, coach, having finished ninth last season, I would think the playoffs are a target this season. Is that the bare minimum for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when we when we arrived, this is my second season at the club, yes. and the season before we arrived, you know, the Rebels the Rebels had won one game, you know. So um, we had a lot of work to do at the club when we when we first arrived, and to everyone's credit, you know, guys have worked really hard, and um, our, our goal is just to try and be the best version of ourselves, you know, to come in every day and work hard and um, compete with each other and just try to push each other to be the best the best version of ourselves, you know. And, um, yeah, I guess it's like a hundred meter runner. You know, if a hundred meter runner, if his personal best is a is a nine seven, uh, our goal is every day to come out and run a nine seven. You know, we might come across some teams that can run a nine six or a nine five. We we kind of okay with that. You know, we want to be competitive, but um, it's more about our own progress and the journey that we're on. And I feel like uh, I feel like we definitely have made progress. You know, from having won one game. You know, um, a year just over a year ago to where we are now is is, is great progress. Doesn't mean we got to win every game. Doesn't mean we're going to do everything right. But we we we're definitely heading in the right direction. And Coach Dave, having taken a team, having taken over a team that was bottom in 2017, uh, what what have you worked on with the Rebels just to turn them into this formidable outfit that they are now, competitive outfit? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think when I when I arrived at the club, it was under difficult circumstances. You know, one of one of either the Rebels or the Western Force was going to be cut from Super Rugby, and uh, although the Rebels survived, I mean, it had been quite a traumatic experience for all the players involved, and um, I found that the, the, that everybody in the club actually was, you know, the best way to describe it is probably just sad. You know, I think nobody at the club thought they were any good, that they could actually achieve anything or win anything. Um, and as a result of that, that you know, there were a whole bunch of other behaviours that the guys were doing that was not professional. You know, it was instead of a rugby club with a little bit of drinking, I think it was a drinking club with a little bit of rugby. You know, um, and so what we needed to do first of all was just make people enjoy it. You know, like make people actually enjoy coming to work every day, enjoy training, enjoy being around each other, enjoy getting better. You know, and um, I think we just try to build a, 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 an environment where we're rewarding people. So guys who work hard, um, that we're pointing out all the, all the good things that they're doing and rewarding people for that and, um, you know, spending time together. And it's not it's not rocket science, but it's um, it's taken a lot of commitment from all the people involved. And it's taken people, um, I guess, quite a lot of humility from those involved to, to sort of admit that they don't know everything, you know, and that they can get better and they can improve in the way that they're doing things and, Slowly but surely, that's meant that we've found little ways to be better in lots of little things, um, and um, and we're going, you know, we're, we're going better than than we than we were when we started. Is that what would have helped a guy like Quade Cooper, who was written off by many and is bounced back this season? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, I mean, I obviously played against, I coached against Quaid when I was with other teams and he was with the Reds, but I didn't really know him particularly well. And I think uh, um, Quaid's very different in person than I think what what people perceive uh, him to be in the media. He's he's quite uh, quite a softly spoken guy. Um, he's very thoughtful. Um, he doesn't say a lot of stuff without thinking about it carefully. Um, and he's got a brilliant mind for rugby, you know, so he's... Um, you know, he's played over 100 Super Rugby games, played 70 or 80 test matches. Um, so we're talking about a guy who's hugely experienced. And um, I just realized, bringing him into the mix, that, um, you know, he, he knows a lot about the game in some areas than I do. And I think it would be silly for me uh, to impose my way of thinking on him. And what we needed to do to get the best outcome was just was just work together. And I think I've enjoyed that. I think he's enjoyed that. Um, and so far, so good. And coach, why did you choose the Rebels considering that you had other offers in Europe uh, but you you stayed in Australia and you went with the Rebels? Uh, well, I was very lucky when I first came over to Australia in 2011 with the uh, end of 2011 with Jake White to the Brumbies. So that's, that's how I ended up in Australia, which was really a lot, a lot of luck. And, you know, I'm obviously very grateful for a guy like Jake for giving me that opportunity. But um, it hasn't been an easy road since then, but I think... Um, at the time, you know, I just felt that Australian rugby had given me some opportunities that I might not have got if I'd stayed in South Africa or, or things like that. You know, I was I was never a player, um, and I didn't have any any real profile in South Africa. And Australian rugby, in many ways, had taken a chance on me. And uh, when I lost my job at the Western Force, you know, it would have been easy just when things got a bit hard to to pack up and go somewhere else. But I I guess I wanted to be a be a bit loyal to the people who'd been loyal to me when. When uh, when I needed that opportunity, you know, so it was, um, yeah, you know, it was quite an easy decision in the end. And obviously, you know, we're very lucky to live in a city like Melbourne, which is which is a, um, you know, just a wonderful city to live in. And you seem to have embraced and and brought brought into their culture. How important has that been in helping you settle in Australia? Yeah, it has been. I mean, um, you know, one thing about Melbourne is it's just a, it's just um, you know, um, pe- people here talk about it as the sporting capital of the yeah. world. You know, we've got some incredible sports events here. We've got the Australian Open, we've got the, the Formula One Grand Prix, we've got the Boxing Day Cricket Test Match, um, we've got about nine massive AFL teams here, and that, those, those teams will get sort of 60,000, 70,000 people a game. Uh, we share a field with a, with, a, um, with a Melbourne Storm, who are the, mm-hmm. the, um, the champions in Australia of, of Rugby League, um, and just next door, on um, the field next door to us, are the, are the Melbourne Victory, who are the the soccer champions in, 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 in Australia, you know, so they've got some unbelievable sporting teams just to, just um, around our offices and our fields, you know, so the culture of sports where we work is, is, has been a huge part of what we've tried to do, you know, like a lot of learning from other teams that have been successful and the things that they're doing and really just trying to model ourselves on some of the things that have worked for them, you know, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a very rewarding sport, sporting culture. And you you now have two kids born in Australia. How's the family doing? And did you imagine that your career and life would turn out like this, Coach Dave? <laughs> I've actually got three kids. So three my now. wife has sold one overnight. And I've, uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've still got three. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, when I, when I grew up, I mean, I hated Australians. And, uh, um, you know, as a, as a Springbok supporter, um, I mean, the only people I hated more than Australians were probably the New Zealanders, you know. Um but um, I always tell the story here to to the Australians because it's it's unique to, to to South Africans is that that whole vibe around the '95 World Cup and and 
um, how special that was, um, I think for me, showed me the power of sport to change the world, you know, and um, in many ways, you know, like I coach rugby because obviously I love the sport and things like that, but it's it's really the little stories. You, you, we have a lot of guys in our team who come from very disadvantaged backgrounds or, you know, have a, have a lot of family problems at home and all sorts of things, and rugby provides them that opportunity to change their lives, you know, and um, I think that um, um, that's the real thing after you've been coaching for a few years, you know, your wins and losses are, are obviously nice, but it's it's much more rewarding when you see a young guy come in who's, who's uh, you know, his life is in a bit of a mess and, and, and um, his family are not coping and things like that, and, you know, he leaves in, uh, after a few years and he's in a much better space and you know he's gonna he's gonna go on to to have a, a good life. You know, so yeah. that's the sort of stuff that I think has has probably motivated me over the last couple of years much more than the the actual results. And is there a big difference between our rugby culture here in South Africa and in Australia? Yeah, it's a hard thing for me to say, uh, to be because I mean I was never really you know I've never really coached at a super rugby level in in, in South Africa. You know, I think um, I think uh, Australia has the benefit of being under under pressure from a lot of other sports, you know, and Australian rugby hasn't done a good job of that over the last couple of years. Um, but um, you can't you can't let it slide for too long because the reality is the other sports are so well run and so competitive that uh, um, the market kind of self corrects you, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of hard work gone into in behind the scenes here in Australia, and I think I think Australian rugby is is heading for a good period, you know, which is. I guess one of the other reasons why uh, I'm lucky enough to have decided to stay here. You mentioned Jake White earlier on, Coach Dave, and I read an incredible story of how you met him at the Sports Illustrated offices and uh, you spent hours with him in a session and then when he went to the Brumbies, he he said you must come along. Did he take a chance with you or did you sell him something so good that he couldn't leave you behind? (laughs) (laughs) No, he took a a massive chance on me, you know, and... uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly, incredibly uh, grateful to to someone like Jake um, for for that opportunity. You know, I think if I were, if, if it weren't for that, I'd probably be, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't be anything close to rugby. You know, um, so I've been coaching at the University of Cape Town, and um, I was actually just an assistant coach there. Um, and I bumped into Jake one day. He, I was working for uh, Sports Illustrated, the old uh, sports magazine, and yeah. Jake came for an interview then, and I just happened to get up from my desk and go and make a cup of cup of coffee. Um, and I bumped into him in the corridor and we just started to talk rugby and we ended up talking for a few hours there and, you know, met him a couple of times over the next couple of weeks and then one thing led to another and I ended up ended up with him at the Brumbies, you know. And I always think, you know, if I hadn't stood up at that very moment and gone for a cup of coffee, uh, I could still be sitting at that desk. <laughs> so, um, it's just a bit of luck, uh. And, and then how did you move from Brumbies to Force to the Force come about? I believe a certain Eddie Jones also yeah. had something to do with it. Yeah, which was also a huge piece of luck, you know. So Jake and Eddie were quite close, and then um, Eddie came uh, to do a, a you know a consultancy with us at the Brumbies while I was there. So he came for a couple of weeks, and then um, I, I uh, got an email one day from Michael Foley, who'd been uh, uh, given the job at the Western Force, and he said, "Look, he." got my name from Eddie Jones and Eddie Jones had recommended me to him and would I be interested in living in Perth and, and doing that and at the time my, my girlfriend who's now my wife was living in South Africa so Perth was a little bit closer to South Africa than, than Canberra so I was probably thinking with my heart more than anything else <laughs> and I, I decided to go to Perth which was lucky and I ended up there I think five or six seasons in, in Perth. Yeah. 
And and you said you went a big name here in South Africa before you left, but you did win the Varsity Cup. Where does that rank for you, especially because you beat Heineken Meyer's team in that final? Yeah, I mean, I think I think probably that Varsity Cup experience uh, taught me, uh, you know, um, probably a different way to um, um, to to lead teams and to and to coach than than I might have had at a more traditional university. I think UCT didn't have uh, sometimes all the all the talent that some of the other universities had. But what we what we wanted to do was make it fun, you know. So we we did absolutely everything that we could to be different. We wore pink. Uh, you know, pink match day shirts. We had a, a female manager, which was absolutely unheard of at the time. We we had a pet donkey called Pancakes, who was like the team mascot who used to come along. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, but it was fun. And the boys, because it was fun, the boys played for each other. And um, I think I learned a, a huge lesson out of out of amateur rugby at UCT about, you know, what makes a team and, and um, you know, just being more than the sum of your, uh, your, your, your parts, you know, and... Um, when people care about something and care about each other, you can get a performance out of them that is much more than what they are as individuals, you know. And so we've just tried to do a little bit of that in Melbourne in our own way. We do, you know, in our team, we do a lot of singing and a lot of, you know, we shoot hoops before training sessions mm-hmm. and we do all sorts of uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. But the boys love it, you know. The boys enjoy coming here every day. Um, it's just a bit different to to probably how some people run traditional teams, you know. And how do you view your stint at your time at the Stormers, having worked with with Rassi Erasmus? Everybody says he's a master tactician. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, you know, probably uh, oh, Rassi, you know, uh, a massive, a massive, uh, um, a massive thing for for backing me at the time because uh, at that time Rassi was the head coach, but his assistant coaches was Alistair Kutsia, Brendan Fenter, Gary Gold. Um, uh, who else was there? Um, Matt Carpet, who was with the Springboks. Jacques Ninaba. Um, you know, so it was like a... For me, I, I was a young guy. I was just putting out the cones and washing Russie's car. You know, it was sort of my job description. But I was... But it was like a massive university of rugby, you know, because there were all these, these brilliant rugby minds who all have gone on to be head coaches of either at least super rugby level or, or even the Springboks. Um... um and so for me, as a young guy, as a young coach, just learning from those guys was unbelievable, you know. And uh, Rusty is an incredibly, incredibly smart guy. And I, I uh, often when I have to do a corporate breakfast or something here, you know, people always asking me as Rusty got the Springbok job how they were going to go. And I was saying, the Springboks are going to be back, there's no doubt about it, because Rusty's a very, very smart operator and he knows what he's talking about, you know. And I think you've already seen that with some of the results that the, the Springboks have produced. Finally, Coach, uh, the obvious question, how far do you think you are from coaching on the international stage? And would that be Australia or the box? I'm sure you get asked that a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, first part of it is I just, uh, I don't, I mean, I obviously do want to coach test rugby at some point, but um, I'm very, very happy where I am. And uh, to be honest, I, I feel like I, I need a few years of of provincial rugby and success at provincial level to under my belt before you take on you know, such a big job as that, you know. Um, uh, so I'm in no hurry to do that. And I think uh, for me, I'm, I'm right now I'm, I'm committed in Australia, you know, um, we're very happy here and, and they've been very good to me. But, you know, having just been back in South Africa, also South Africa is my home, you know, my family are still there. Um, it's still the place that I think of as, as, as home in many ways, you know. So I guess time will tell what, what will happen, you know, but that'll be a few years from now. 
Thank you very much to Coach David Vessels for speaking to us all the way from Melbourne. And thank you to everybody who's tuned in the past hour. That is it. That is our time.